I invite you again, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, as we continue in our uh, Christmas sermon series, Humble, Glorious Christmas. If you're using one of the Bibles under a chair in front of you, one of the little black pew Bibles, you'll find Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56, starting on page 804. Uh, It's important for us, I think, to have our Bibles open. There is something to seeing God's Word on a page in front of us and not just on a screen, being able to look back on it uh, uh, in our own Bibles or on your iPad or your your phone, whatever you might be looking on. But to have God's Word open always throughout the whole time of study uh, is an important thing to do. So find your way, uh, click or swipe your way to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. Uh, Sometimes... We need help to see things the way that we ought to. I need to get my eyeglass prescription updated. It's a couple years old, and I can tell. But getting my eyeglass prescription updated requires going to the optometrist, which means I've got to make an appointment, I've got to set time time in my schedule, I have to find one that I want to talk to. It involves admitting that I can't see as well as I used to in every situation, And then letting him or her tune up my prescription to help me see a little bit better. Friends, it is not fun because I am a proud person. It is not fun to humble myself to the process of being told, Brother, you can't hardly see anymore. I don't like admitting that my eyes don't work well. But the truth of the matter is, if I don't humble myself to that process to be told, here's your problem and here's the the fix, I'll miss out on all of the beauty and the clarity that I otherwise would be able to see with precision if I would just go get my eyes checked. When it comes to God's glory at Christmas, if we want to see it clearly, and if we want to sing His praises freely, it is necessary for us to have a humble heart submitted to God and observant of all that he is and does, and that will help us to see his glory clearly at Christmas. So let's, with humble hearts, submit and see God's work among us that we might praise him well. As we continue in in Luke's story of how Jesus came to be born, we will see in verses 39 through 56 of the first chapter, Elizabeth and Mary, these two unlikely women that are bearing unlikely children, Elizabeth bearing John, Mary bearing Jesus, the Savior. Elizabeth and Mary get together, they meet up, and together in their humble little gathering, their humble little meeting together, they glorify God for all of his wonderful work of sending his Messiah. The main idea of this passage of Scripture uh, for us this morning is this, that the humble in heart most easily perceive God's glory at Christmas. Those who are humble in heart most easily see the beauty, the majesty, the splendor of all that God is doing at Christmas. And as we look at these two women as examples of demonstrating that, and as we look at their lives and some things that they show us or teach us that we can do to better see and to sing God's praises, my hope is that we'll be ready to do that, that our lives will erupt in worship because we are able to see what God, the glory of God and what he's doing at Christmas as we humble ourselves to see it. So I invite you to stand with me in honor of uh, God and His Word as I read Luke 1, 39-56. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. Here we read, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. 
And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Ab- as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. This is God's word. You may be seated. The humble in heart most easily perceive God's glory at Christmas. Now you'll remember from last week that Luke, the gospel writer, likes to structure the way that he tells the story of Jesus so as to help us to make the important points along the way in the way that he tells the story. And as he records the birth of John the baptizer and Jesus, he systematically bounces back and forth between the two. John and his family first, and then Jesus and his family through the first couple of chapters, all the way through. The angel appears to Zechariah, then the angel appears to Mary. Elizabeth speaks, and then Mary speaks. And then John is born, and then Jesus is born. The point is this. Luke structures the story this way, because John comes first as a herald of Jesus, who is the Messiah. John always comes first. He's the forerunner. He's the one that goes ahead. So wherever John is, we should expect to see Jesus right behind him. In every way that John is awesome, and in every way that John's, even his conception is miraculous and his life is exceptional, in every way that John is special, Jesus is and will be even better. And Luke is showing showing us this in even just the simple way that he structures his, his telling of how they were born. And so just as last week we saw the angel appearing to John's father, Zechariah, and then to Mary, now this week as Mary visits Elizabeth, we hear from Elizabeth first, and then Mary after that. Now the meeting of these two women may not seem like much if you're reading Luke quickly. If you're just skimming through Luke, if you're just reading it fast and not slowing down to pay attention, you might not see much about it. But if we slow down just a little bit, I think that we find here a beautiful scene where these two humble women, Elizabeth and Mary, used by God... Teach us something about what humility helps us to perceive. Elizabeth speaks first, verses 39 through 45. And as she speaks this word of blessing to Mary, we learn that humble hearts are able to see God's blessing. Humble hearts see God's blessing. It would seem from verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, That fairly quickly after Mary had this visit with Gabriel, the angel, uh, after she had received news that she was going to become pregnant with God's son, the Messiah, uh, and that her relative Elizabeth was also pregnant, that Mary got up and went to go see her cousin, her relative Elizabeth. The hill country of Judah is kind of a general way of speaking about the mountainous spine, if you will, of modern-day Israel and Palestine. 
We can't be sure where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived for whatever reason. Luke doesn't think it's that important for us to know. But it is possible that Mary may have traveled from Nazareth somewhere upward, up to about 40 miles or so southward uh, as she went to go visit her cousin Elizabeth. What happens in this scene, though, when these two ladies meet up, and what happens here, are, are a few actions. They do a few things that we can all practice, I think, that will help us to be humble and to see God's blessing, particularly in Elizabeth first. Uh, first of all, in helping us to see God's blessing. We need to listen for the Holy Spirit. Humble hearts see God's blessing. And so to see God's blessing, we need to listen for the Holy Spirit. When these two women, Elizabeth and Mary, meet, it's something fantastic to be sure. As soon as Mary speaks, prenatal John in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Remember, Gabriel said to Zechariah that John would be filled with the Spirit of God even in his mother's womb. And as he leaps at the voice of the mother of the Messiah... His own mother, Elizabeth, is also filled with the Spirit. And at the Spirit's inspiration, Elizabeth exclaims a wonderful word of blessing for Mary. Elizabeth is able to see the blessing of God in all that is going on because she is tuned to the Holy Spirit. She's ready to listen to God's Spirit. She's also tuned to the child who's doing cartwheels in her belly, who is himself filled with the Holy Spirit. But Elizabeth is sensitive to what God is saying. Here's my pastoral advice for you, friend. If you struggle to see the blessing of God around you, particularly at Christmas in a very individualistic, consumer-driven society and culture, if you struggle to see the blessing of God around you, learn to quiet the cries of your own heart. Learn to quiet the thoughts of your own mind so that you might hear God speak. The best way to do this really is to tune your heart and your mind to how the Spirit speaks. The best way to do that, friend to pick up your Bible and read. If you want to be tuned to the Spirit so that you might see God's blessing, open your Bible and let God's Word wash over you. These are His Spirit-inspired words to us about Himself. If you want to hear God speak out loud, read your Bible out loud. If you want to tune your heart to the Holy Spirit, even as Elizabeth does, spend time in His Word. Spend time hearing from Him. Learn to tune your heart, your mind, to the voice of God. These are God's words through Elizabeth to Mary, from the same spirit that, in, that inspired the rest of Scripture. So if you want to see God's blessing at Christmas, humble yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit. Second, look to see what God is doing for others. To be able to see God's blessing, we have to humble ourselves to look around to see what God is not doing in us, but what He's doing for other people. It's no secret that our culture is intensely individualistic. Our culture is intensely inwardly focused. We love ourselves ourselves. The endless scrolling of selfies on social media timelines or even our own phone uh, photo library ought to tell us that much. We are a culture obsessed with our individual selves, but not Elizabeth. The first words out of Elizabeth's mouth are a recognition and a declaration of God's divine favor on Mary, not herself, her cousin. When she says to Mary, you are blessed among women, and so is the child in your womb, she is saying, see how richly God has poured his favor on you and your child. All of her focus is on the great thing that God is doing in her younger cousin. Are you like Elizabeth in this way? Are you so focused on what God is doing all around you and in the lives of people around you? that you can rejoice in what he's doing, even if it doesn't involve you? 
Can you be glad in God's blessing to others, even if it's not to you personally? Or are you like me, admittedly, more prone to see what God is doing in other people and grumble about it? Grumble about the fact that He isn't doing that thing in my life. Friends, if we never look with the intent of rejoicing in what God is doing in others, we will never be able to truly rejoice in what He's doing for us. It is Elizabeth's outward perspective to see God working all around her that leads her to rejoice in what God is doing in her. We'll get that in a minute. It's only after Elizabeth recognizes what wonderful things God is doing in her family through Mary, it's only after Elizabeth praises God and, 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 and expresses the blessing and sees the blessing of God on other people that she's able to see her own blessing in all of this. The first thing she does is bless Mary. But then as soon as she sees what God is doing in Mary, she says about herself, who am I to be in the middle of all of this? I've done nothing to deserve the honor of being greeted by the mother of my Lord. How blessed am I? Now what Elizabeth says is interesting because it would seem that even before Mary tells Elizabeth that she's pregnant also, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to Elizabeth that Mary is also pregnant and The Holy Spirit has informed Elizabeth that Mary is pregnant not just with any baby, but with the Messiah, no less. Even her yet unborn son, John, knows exactly who Mary is and who is growing within Mary's belly. Follow the progression here. It's the greatness of the blessing for Mary that causes Elizabeth to see the blessing of God for her. So, This Christmas, let's stop moping about in self-pity for all the things God isn't doing for us. And let's humble ourselves to see his blessing for others. I dare say we will find ourselves glad to simply know and recognize that God is working and that he is working all around us. And when we open our eyes and lift our heads to see how God is blessing even others around us, working in the lives of other people in our church family or in our community, our spheres of influence, when we see where God is at work, even if we don't see how he's working directly in our lives, friends, that gives us cause to worship that God is working. The humble in heart are able to see God's blessing. And so it's helpful to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's helpful to look around to see how God is blessing others that we might see that we are blessed just to be in the middle of it. But third, if you're wanting to see God's glory more clearly, open your eyes to God's blessing for all people. Open your eyes to see God's intended blessing for all people. All that has gone on here in this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth has brought Elizabeth to exclaim, Mary, you are so blessed by God. And your baby, so blessed to be God's own son. This is too much for me. But she says more in verse 45. In verse 45 she says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is she who believed that God would do what he promised he would do. Now Elizabeth's humility in all of this helps her to see something else. It helps her to see the blessing of faith. It doesn't show in our English Bibles quite so clearly, but Elizabeth uses a different word for blessed in verse 45 as she does from verse 42. It's not a huge difference, but it's not nothing either. The first word that she uses for blessed in verse 42, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, is a word for general blessing. It's it's something like a declaration of divine favor. It's It's a good word, literally, pronounced over somebody else. But the second blessed that she uses in verse 45 
means something more like happy in the Lord. It's the same word that Jesus used for blessed in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Happy in the Lord. It's one thing to be undeservedly favored by God, to be blessed in that sense. And it's the next logical step, I think, in blessing to be glad and joyous in the God who shows favor. So now Mary's blessing here is not because of the product of something that God has done. No, her blessing, her gladness in God, blessed is the one who believed there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Her blessing, her gladness in God is rooted in her faith, in her trust that God would do what he promised to do, ever before conceiving the Christ within her. And so it's here that we see the thrust of this part of the encounter. The ultimate blessing lies... For the one who believes that the Lord who promises is the Lord who delivers. That's where all of Elizabeth's praise and blessing and, 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 and worship of God is, is heading. There's gladness in God for those who trust Him. Now this word of blessing is obviously immediately applied to Mary. Elizabeth says these words to her younger cousin to express blessing to her younger cousin for believing that the Lord would do what he promised. But Elizabeth's words, friends, seem to have life and significance for God's people in every age. That is to say, these, are, these words are a, a perennial gospel promise. There is always blessing for those who believe there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord had spoken. For Eve, after the fall, when God said to the serpent that Eve's offspring would crush his head, promise. For the Hebrews in slavery in Egypt, when God said that he would bring them out with a strong hand and a mighty arm to be his people in a home of their own, a promise from God to his people. For David, the king to whom God promised a a son, a descendant who would sit on the throne and reign forever, For Israel, when they were in exile, and God said, I'll bring you back home. And for Israel, after the exile, when they were in their home, and God said, I'm still going to bring you a redeemer. For Thomas, after the resurrection of Jesus, who felt the wounds, saw the wounds in Jesus' hands, and and felt the wound in his side, and to whom Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed for every age of the church until Christ's return. The Lord has given promises to his people related to their salvation. A serpent crusher, deliverance from slavery, a king forever, a home forever, a Messiah to rule and reign and save them. A Messiah who is coming back again. For Mary, the blessing is in the arrival of the Son who is the Lord, the one that she had been looking forward to. But her blessing is also shared by everyone who had been awaiting the Christ's incarnation. And that blessing is for everyone. That gladness in the Lord is for everyone who awaits Christ's return with hope and with joy. This blessing is for you, friend. A gladness in God who provides salvation for all who believe that he has done it. Do you know this blessing? Do you know this joy in God? Do you know this gladness in God who saves, who has promised to save and who has made good on that promise? Have you believed that God has come down from heaven to us, for us, to be with us as God with us and to die for our sins committed against him? And to be raised again so that we might know fellowship with him, friend. Do you know the gladness in the God who does that? 
Now, this blessing of salvation, this blessing of restored relationship with God today, right now, relationship with God of life with Him forever, even as we look forward to Him raising us from the dead as Christ returns to rule and reign over the new heavens and the new earth. Friend, this promise is for everyone who believes, and it is for you too. The truth of the matter is, you won't believe this blessing of God. You won't see this blessing of God if you aren't able to humble yourself to see your need for it. This promise of blessing, gladness in the Lord for all who believe that He fulfills what He says. Gladness in the Lord for forgiveness of sins, justification to God, resurrection and eternal life is for everyone who humbles themselves to see. I have made a mess of my life. There's nothing I can do about it. I have broken fellowship with God by my own sin. He's the only one who can save me. And I thank Him that He did. That He sent His Son to be born a human, adding humanity to his divinity to live the life I couldn't, to die the death I deserve, to be raised from the grave so that as my hope is placed in him, so also will he raise me from the dead on the last day. Friend, if you don't humble yourself to see your need for that salvation, you won't be able to receive it. But there's great blessing and gladness in God for everyone who does. The humble in heart are able to see God's blessing. And then Mary teaches us, In her song, it's often called the Magnificat, which is just after the first line of the verse of of her song, My Soul Magnifies the Lord. Mary teaches us that humble hearts are able to sing God's praises. Humble hearts see His blessing and humble hearts sing God's praise. I love Mary's response to what Elizabeth has said. Elizabeth has essentially said, Mary, God has done wonderful things for you. And that baby's not even here yet. And Mary responds, Yes, Elizabeth, he has. And even more than that, God is awesome. Mary's song is beautiful in the way that it flows because she starts with herself and what God has done for her, her, but then she quickly moves on to say, and see all the other wonderful things that God has done for so many others. Now, if you have a study Bible or a, a reference Bible, you might find lots of little superscripted letters all throughout Mary's song that point you somewhere on the page to other passages of Scripture throughout the Bible. And that's because Mary's song of praise here demonstrates a, a wonderful, beautiful understanding of who God has revealed himself to be throughout history. Mary's song is uh, composed of a number of different parts of other songs and proclamations, declarations of theology about who God is. Mary is someone who knows God's word and knows the God who spoke his word and loves using his word to praise him. We note in her song that God is the God who exalts the humble, who lifts those who are lowly in heart. Mary notes that God has looked on her in her own humility and chosen to use her as a part of fulfilling his plan. She sings in verses 51 and through 53 about the God who demonstrates his strength in humbling the arrogant and saving the lowly. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Tones of various psalms come through in Mary's song, like Psalm 89, 13, which says, You have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high is your right hand. Or Psalm 113, verses 5 through 8, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes 
with the princes of his people. He's the God who exalts the humble. He's also the God who shows mercy. Mary sings about the undeserved kindness of God to those who worship him in humility. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Mary sings about the undeserved kindness of God to those who worship him in humility. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 tells us exactly who God is, gracious and merciful. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103, 17 and 18 says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to His children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. Micah 7, verse 18, part of our call to worship this morning. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. What is that but a picture of His mercy? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. Mary says God not only exalts the humble, but He has mercy on those who love Him. Mary sings, and in singing, she tells us that God is the God who keeps His promises. Mary recognizes that she is just one more servant that the Lord is pleased to use in bringing His salvation plans to fruition. Growing in her womb is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. Growing in her womb is the promise, as we read in verse 55, as God spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever, there's a generational promise that God is building on among his people to bring a specific child in the womb of Mary is growing the fulfillment to all of God's promises. In her, even at that moment, is wriggling around the fulfillment of a promise of a son who would bless the nations. God said to Abraham, the father of the people of Israel, in Genesis 17, 9, he says, Your wife shall bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Jesus is this child growing in Mary's belly, the fulfillment of a promise of a king who would reign forever. Psalm 132, verses 11 and 12 reminds us of this promise. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. Jesus is the king of kings in the line of David who will sit on God's throne to rule and reign forever. Jesus in her, or Mary in her song recognizes That God is a God who lifts the humble. He's a God of mercy toward those who love him. And he's a God who keeps his promises. This Christmas season, as we look to the person of Jesus, the fulfillment of all of these promises, is your heart tuned to sing like Mary's? I wonder if I might offer you some help in being able to do so. You can, we can, tune our hearts to praise God today, like Mary, by doing a couple of things. One, realize, understand, recognize that the incarnation, the eternal Son of God taking on flesh in in the man Jesus Christ, the incarnation is an act of God's great mercy toward you. Mary sings about God's mercy. Jesus is the embodiment, the fulfillment, the, the perfect personification of God's mercy. God in His undeserved kindness to sinners sends Jesus for those who will humbly receive Him. It is God's mercy and His great love that stand behind the gift of His Son. 
But we must not miss that he gives his son to be born, ultimately to die because of our sin against him. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, Paul there reminds us that God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, caused us to be born again as we trust in Christ. It is in love and mercy toward needy sinners that God sends Christ to be born as the fulfillment of his promise and to the offspring of Abraham that they would be children of God by faith. Paul says in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9, that he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. God promised to Abraham to be the father of many nations. And Paul is saying that, through, that we become sons of Abraham, not by birth, but by faith. Paul continues in Galatians 3, verse 8, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, that means make right with himself, the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Friends, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is a demonstration of God's love and mercy to those who fear him, to those who trust him to those who recognize there is no way for them to save themselves, but simply to trust in the one who's done it in their place. Jesus the Christ, the offspring of Abraham, the serpent crusher. You tune your heart to praise God by realizing the mercy of God in sending his son. But second, you can tune your heart to praise God like Mary did, by humbling yourself before God so that he might exalt you, so that he might lift you. Right praise True worship never come from prideful hearts. As a rule, the only worship that can come from a prideful heart is self-worship. So how do you humble yourself to praise God rightly? How do you do it? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And not just the precious baby in the manger, no, but look to Jesus, the eternal Son of God, who added humanity to His divinity in the manger. Humility and service are virtues that are exemplified and extolled by Jesus. He's the living embodiment of these things. He who is himself God, a very God, emptied himself and took the form of a servant and humbled himself even to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that he might be exalted, lifted, uh, his name above every other name, as the apostle tells us in Philippians 2, 5 to 11. The Son of God was born in human flesh not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many in order to demonstrate that greatness in God's kingdom doesn't doesn't come through being great, but that greatness in God's kingdom, exaltation in God's kingdom comes through humble service. See Christ clearly, friend. Perceive yourself rightly. That's what humility is. Humility is not being a doormat to other people's wishes and desires. Humility is simply seeing God clearly and seeing yourself rightly. And in so humbling yourself, you will come to observe in greater detail and with proper scope the blessing of God to you in Christ His Son. And from that place of humble recognition of God's blessing, I dare say, friend, you cannot but worship God for who He is and what He has done. Humble hearts are able to see God's blessing, and humble hearts are able to praise God, to sing His praises. So, do you see God's glory as well as you ought to this morning? Do you see it as clearly, as precisely as you know you should? I invite you to humble yourself before Him. Recognize His wonderful works in the lives of others. 
and in His gift of Christ for you. Do you worship the Lord? Does your heart freely sing His praises? As we sang earlier just this morning, did you find yourself glad to sing these praises to God? If you struggle with that, stop then to remind yourself of God's great mercy in sending His Son. Humble yourself before God like whom there is no other so that He might lift your head in wondrous worship this Christmas. The humble in heart most readily see God's glory at Christmas. So if you need a sight adjustment so that you might see God's glory even clearer, then give yourself over to Christ in faith and fix to, that He might fix the spiritual stigmatism and asthmatic apathy of your sin and give you eyes to see and a voice to sing His praises. There is wonderful glory to be observed by all who humble themselves before God at Christmas. Let us be those who see God clearly, see ourselves rightly, come to Christ in faith so that we can see His blessing and sing His praises as His people. Let's pray together.